Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Practice is underway for Coach Jim Harbaugh and his team. We are just three weeks away from teeing it up in South Bend and there is much work to do. Today we bring you the first of our three preview shows. In just a minute, we'll be joined by beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press. First, a few news and notes to get us rolling. Coach B is recovering from a scheduled double bypass heart surgery done Monday at the University of Michigan Hospital. He said he feels well, should be home in a couple of days, and will be at full speed when practice begins in October. Assistant coach Sadi Washington will take over Coach B's duties when the team makes their Spain trip later this month. Our thoughts and prayers are with Coach B for a quick recovery and a return to the sidelines. We all get excited when fall practice starts, even though news of what's happening behind the scenes is very hard to come by. We'll hear injury updates, and the media will have some access to the staff and even some of the players. So Jim is not taking the team on a submarine trip as he did in his first year. We all have lots of questions, but we'll have to wait until Labor Day weekend before we start getting answers. Even the beat writers have no idea what to expect until they see this team play. Joining me next on our game day segment is beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press. Here on the Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us on our game day segment as we do the first of three preview shows on the upcoming season is beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press. Long time, Nick. Great to have you back. Summer gets faster every year, Mike, doesn't it? It certainly does get faster. I don't know if these next three weeks will go by quickly. Uh, the anticipation, no, yeah. as we know, is, is building for that opener in South Bend. The team reported for practice on Friday, Nick. We've been hearing talk uh, Jim might take the team back in the submarine this year. Is, uh, is that official, or is, uh, have you heard anything like that? No, I, I mean, n- any more than he already has. I mean, it's not... Uh, he's not doing what he what they did unless he changes his mind this week. He's not doing what they did that first year where they didn't talk to anybody for like two weeks or whatever it was. I don't think that's happening. But um, you know, Michigan doesn't let anybody see practice, and you know they stay in the dorm, so it's it's as closed off as as most places get. So in that sense, I think it's uh, probably pretty close to the same. Competition at quarterback, Nick. Is this Shea Patterson's job to lose? Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Um, you know, and I think that. There's not many people who uh, are around it expected anything different, and a lot of it, frankly, I think was, um, you know, how fast or how slow this thing was gonna gonna work itself out. Really, kind of depended on him. Um, you know, how quickly he goes out there and and really again puts the hammer down and makes it very very clear to whoever that this is he's the best quarterback on the team. Um, you know, I, I know folks were excited with or happy with whatever you want to call it the way that Brandon Peters performed in the off season. But at the same time, you know, Brandon didn't have the job last year for a number of reasons hammered down uh, because he didn't go out and make it perfectly clear. Uh, and some of that you could say maybe the coaches should have seen through some of that and taken it, whatever. But what the point remains, a lot of this will be on the quarterback to go out there, you know, leave no doubt, 
and earn the job. And, and Chief Patterson's got to do that. To me, they have to do this faster than they've done it because he has to. He's going to need more time to develop with the offense. Uh, to, to 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 think that 15 practices in the spring caught him all the way up to where he needs to be. That's just that's nonsense. Uh, that that's a that's an exception or a expectation that's not fair to anybody. And it's not one I don't think even Shea Patterson himself has. So if, if, it's, if it's him, you know, they don't have to tell us. They don't have to tell the world. But, I mean, i got to think within 10 days of practice, you have got to know who it's going to be. And that person's going to have to have the benefit of working with first-team reps uh, for a good two weeks if you really want to give this thing a shot. Because you remember last year, mm-hmm. you know, they went, in that last, they went into the last week uh, and really into the game with no answer. And um, that can't happen again. That's just that's you're doing a disservice to your own offense and your quarterbacks. Uh, and we saw for the first month and a half where it was. That's why. And um, those guys need. It's college football. It's not the NFL. Those guys need more time. And I think that uh, if you do it quicker, um, you know, it benefits everybody. Well, fans, of course, are going to focus on the quarterback battle. But for many of us, it's the offensive line that is the most important aspect of of this or any good offense size up the offensive line situation as it is right now nick yeah i think the uh the interior's fine i think for the most part it's at least it's at least it's you know you, you know what you have um and you know they were very excited about caesar ruiz when he got here and i think the plan is still right along the you know right along the time frame as they wanted it was the second year he was going to be here he was going to be a center uh and then be the guy for them you know inside kind of captaining the line and that'll be that uh, so he'll be in there um starting in the middle, and then he'll be flanked by Ben Bredesen and either Ben Wayne U or Steven Spinellis. You know, really, I think they're confident in all four of those guys. Uh, all four of those guys have played, and all four of those guys have shown growth uh, to a point where they can play. The tackle spots, um, you know, that's – they're begging people. Uh, that's the best I can put it. They're begging someone to – someone's multiple people to step up and take jobs, uh, and it just hasn't – it just didn't happen in spring – um, they were excited with how, you know, John Runyon looked in spring, but then again, they were excited with how John Runyon looked in spring last year, and that didn't carry over uh, in the camp as he got he got dinged up, and that really hurt him, and then he dropped off. Uh, you know, with Juwan Bushlebedi, I think it's been this song and dance now for a couple of years where there's days where he looks really good, and there's days where he doesn't, and it's, it's and there's no consistency there. So those are the guys I think that at the end of spring, um, maybe simply because they were older, were the guys that were ahead of the line. Um, but, you know, I would think that most others are going to get a chance here. You know, James Hudson, of course, was the guy that when they switched him over last year, uh, physically, James Hudson has everything that a left tackle um, needs. You know, he's long, he's big, and he's fast. Uh, he's athletic, he bends well, so he's got all those tools. It's just a matter of when is it going to click for him. This is only his second year, and he and he was mainly, for whatever reason, a defensive player in high school. So he'll have to, you know, ramp up his learning curve. Uh, and then, you know, you go even further down the list, and his younger guys, um, Jalen Mayfield is a true freshman who I'm sure will get a look. Um, I don't know if Ryan Hayes is big enough yet to get a look. Uh, then you look at, the, you know, your Stubers, your – Filiaga, Joel Horingford, these are second-year players that if they're going to want to get in there and do something, this is a chance. But, I mean, it's really it, – it just came across to me for the last however many months that they were they were begging people, you know, they, some of these guys. You know, they know what they have in those four interior guys. The tackles, they're just standing there like, is there anybody here that wants a job? Because you know, no one's come out and take it. Um, but it'll be interesting. I think that, that could certainly be something where that spills over into the regular season. 
um, if no one really takes it. But um, the older guys were leading the way going in. That's not always how it plays out, though. So uh, we'll see what happens with the youngsters if somebody can step up and and get in there. But um, just mysteries. They're going to be mysteries until the season starts. We just aren't going to know. You know, we're not going to know. That it doesn't matter really to me who gets the job, but we're not going to know how they perform. You know, until yeah. they get on the field. It's not necessarily to me that the point isn't what name it is. It's how are they going to play? Because we haven't seen anyone from that any of that pool, you know, come out and play consistently, consistent football, uh, and that'll be the biggest question. Well, Nick, last week when I knew uh, we were going to have you on the show, I uh, asked our listeners to uh, shoot me some questions if they had any for you. So I've uh, I've chosen a few, and oh, okay. um, the first two concern the offense. Uh, Karan Higdon, Chris Evans are thought to be the one-two punch in the backfield. One of yep. my listeners, Shar, wants to know. Will they be splitting carries, or is Karan right now the clear number one? They'll split time the way that they kind of have um, in recent years, or every year that Harbaugh's been here. Where he's, they, but, but no, it did seem like uh, Higdon was was the number one. Um, and when I say they split carries, a lot of times what it's been over the years, you know, if you can divide up 30 carries, you know, a certain way, it would be, you know, maybe 15 or 16 for someone, and then like 9 or 10 for someone, and then the last handful to a third back. So depending on a situation, depending on a game, I, w- I would think based on everything that happened toward the end of last year, everything through spring, um, and then going forward here, that Quran would be your number one, and then Evans would be your number two, though the distance between those two are, is really not that wide, uh, and they'll both get yeah, – I, I could see a situation where both of them are getting double-digit touches you know, during a game, and then especially because your third back is just so – it's a mystery – uh, again, of, of who that's going to be. So both will play, but I think Higgins probably probably slightly ahead. Well, Char followed that up with a, a question I think a lot of fans have been concerned about, Nick. Will the uh, play calling be less convoluted this year? Is there going to be an offensive coordinator? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, Pep Hamilton, I guess, if, if they want to, is the de facto, you know, he's the assistant head coach. So in terms of titles, um, you know, Harbaugh was asked about that a couple weeks ago, and he—that was the only name he brought up, and he kind of brought that up with a sigh. Is like, I don't really want to name a coordinator because I want them all to be sort of on the even level and sort of all working toward a common goal. I think the problem they had last year was what they basically—they basically had two guys who thought they were a, 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 two guys who thought they were the offensive coordinator, and no one told either that they weren't. And you know, that happened I think in 2016 a bit as well, and it certainly happened last year. But the bigger point here, again, is that uh, the whole offense is still Harbaugh's. Uh, it still runs through him. Um, he's still involved. There's not going to be a time um, unless – I'd be shocked. I mean, I would be shocked if at some point in the near future Jim Harbaugh says, I'm no longer going to have a say in what plays are called for my football team on Saturdays. Um, so even if he does have an offensive coordinator, that's what I've always told people, even if he did have one, he would still be overriding that person constantly. So – um, that's just how it's always been done with him, and, and frankly, it's worked out more than it hasn't. So um, last year, I thought I really I didn't think that the play calling on Saturdays was the issue as much as I thought that the 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 problem they had started early in camp, where they probably allowed themselves to get. I think they tried to take pieces of everybody and put them into some sort of soup, and the mm-hmm. offense was just a mess. It was just this. It was a, it was unbalanced. It didn't have a home base. It was just it, no identity, and. Um, Frankly, I think if they get an identity and they can work from from a handful of things where they know they do well, have those as a home base, and then work out from there, I think they'll be fine. I think that you can do a lot of things on Saturdays um, that'll help you. But if you don't have a 
identity and you don't and you'll have actually having you know not having a quarterback doesn't help that either of course but I think that's really the bigger thing to me it's a lot more of the behind the scenes work um that I think that we'll never see that needs to get repaired because that's what it screamed to me it was that they went into games with just such a wide array of things they wanted to do rather than a much more narrow focused thing you know <clears throat> the Ohio State game at the end of the year was the example of growth there where they actually had a very very good plan but it looked like it was scripted so far and it took so much time and energy and effort to get that thing done and as opposed to the early parts of the year where the plan was all over the place so you know they've got it in them i think they can do it um but uh, again that's one thing we're gonna have to see if it's if it's if it's different well matt from westerville ohio has a question about the wideouts uh, matt says that Tariq black donovan peoples jones and grant perry uh, appear to be uh the, the trio we'll see the most of to start the season. Who else do you expect we could see in that mix, Nick? Uh, we'll see uh, Nico Collins a lot, I think. You know, they were excited about his growth uh, from, you know, first-year player to you know, getting some weight on him and getting a little stronger. And then uh, I think they're all excited to see if Oliver Martin can um, can make a run there uh, and get on the field. Um, as a guy who didn't play much last year for, due to injury and due to it was a little overwhelming for him early, and so you know he's had a year and a half to to settle in. And they, I know they really like the spring that both those guys had, Collins and and Martin. So, uh, but you know, this is the, this is always the thing I caution people. We hear this. I mean, it's like I've told people for years, we could make a like twenty two man roster of the all time great spring <laughs> practice players that never did a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And we hear it all the time, right? And I mean, you know, Mike, I talk to you every summer and we, we go through the list and I bet we go back and just say, well, yeah, that guy, they really like him. I think he had a great off season, he had a great camp, and then the lights come on and it's just, it's deer in the headlights. So a lot of these guys are still young and, and you know, we, we even with Donovan, I think that there's still, I still really want to see how much growth he's had. They've Again, they've said all these great things, but Donovan had a lot of growth to do last season and while he got some of that done I think that there's still a lot more to go because he could be really really good uh Tariq Black coming back I think he will be really really good um of course so we'll see I mean I think that and again like I said before the faster you get that quarterback settled the faster those guys all can start developing with him in timing and everything else and everything will be better quicker uh, when the season starts. Well, here's a question on, on a lot of fans' minds, something that we've uh, heard uh, the entire offseason. This is from listener uh, Thunder Yang, who wants to know, will Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat if he loses this year to both Michigan and Ohio State again? No, not any. I don't think in any rational person's mind. I mean, the only way that uh, there would be a situation I would think that he would be in danger of what's going on here is if they were like 2-10 and ten or something, you know, where they were sub you know, they didn't make a bowl, they were so bad that you know, they were sub-500 or whatever. I think that, that that's, if that happened, you start losing to people that you're not supposed to lose to, I think that, that you'd see that start to creep up. Um, no, I, but, you know, I mean, people are going to be mad. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. I mean, the, uh, I think he's more safe than, than most have been because they spent so much time and money and they've invested so much into him. Um, and, and most still think it's the right decision. I don't, no one really thinks he's a bad football coach. Um, it's just the job was really hard when you got here because you had Ohio State. Now, I guess we'll see what happens with Urban Meyer. I guess there's number one there. But mm-hmm. if Urban Meyer stays, Ohio State is still, in theory, the, one of the top two programs in America. So you've got to catch them. And then Michigan State has been, you know, they're going through currently with the one year as an exception in 2016. They're going through the best stretch of football they've ever had. So catching up to those teams, the, the only 
consequence would be is you're just that much further away from being what you think you can be. And I'm not sure if there's anybody else out there that gets you any closer to that. Um, so no, I think people will be upset and, and sure. I mean, that's fair enough, but, um, no, I don't think it'd be something where they'd be like, you're fired. I mean, if you don't do this or we're, we're going to look elsewhere because I don't know. I mean, you know, we all saw the seven, eight years that everybody around here pined for Jim Harbaugh every day. And I don't think a lot of that's changed. I think most people are still very much in the same, you know, he's, he's the right person for this. Uh, and the bigger fear, I think, and this is why a lot of this gets created maybe internally with fans is, um, you know, if it's not him, then who, because that maybe is the answer. I mean, if he can't pull it off, then, uh, you know, maybe it's just not meant to be in terms of you're maybe you're not going to be Alabama or what Ohio state has been. Maybe you're going to have to settle for being pretty good in some of those years. And then maybe you're going to go through your lumps. That's just part of how football works everywhere else. So I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go, but, uh, I, I think it could be a pretty easy fix here for them to get back in the right track. Um, but you're right. They got to get one of those games. It seems like, you know, because if you go and two again, then, uh, geez, I mean, people were furious last year and all they wanted to talk about were those two, you know, forget the other 10. Right. And that's, um, you know, especially the Michigan State, I guess that's probably the, num- the more, number one thing. If they can get that, I think that would release a lot of pressure there. Well, this on our game day segment this week as we begin our first of three previews uh, heading up to the season is beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the uh, Detroit Free Press. Nick, it's hard to imagine the offense not being better this year, even hopefully just more efficient because, you know, Don Brown's defense is uh, going to have this team in every darn game, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's the that's the thing to remember, and I've said this all offseason. The offense's job here, uh, as basic as it sounds, is to just not screw it up and to just get out of the way. And uh, because the defense is, like you said, this this should be the bigger shock to me would be if this defense isn't terrific. I mean, that's really the thing. This should be the best in the Big Ten uh, and one of the best in the country, based on what they all have, what they have back. They bring literally everything except Mo Hurst, who is a big loss, and Mike McCray. Um, but they bring nine guys back. Uh, and then a bunch of guys who played behind that. So, you know, there's depth everywhere. There's talent everywhere. They can withstand injury, uh, which often happens, of course. But there's there's really no excuse for them not to be very, very good. But, you know, they can only do so much for you, as we, as we saw last year, where the offense, if it's turning the ball over, if it's, you know, giving a bad field position, you know, getting stuck, between, you know, down under a goal line and can't get out. I mean, that's just, I mean, the, the best example to me of the first 10 games or whatever it was of 2016 when the offense wasn't lighting up anybody necessarily. They weren't, you know, putting up 50 a game or doing whatever, but they were just managing the game. Uh, you know, if the drives didn't work, they punted. They punted well. Uh, they covered their punts well. They got good field position. The defense helped them out. They got the ball back. And eventually, over time, they would crack through, and they worked with a lot of short fields. Uh, they were good in the red zone. They took advantage of things. Drives ended with kicks, and they were efficient. They were efficient in that they were getting the most or getting something out of every opportunity they had rather than just turning it over or you know, shooting yourself in the foot. So I think that that's the big thing right now is get out of the way and let the defense do its job because defense should be smothering and it should be outstanding, and I don't think there's anybody who really disagrees with that assessment. No, but if there is an area of concern, would it be the safety play? Yeah, I think so. And then, you know, I guess you still got to wait and see what what you get from the interior guys, uh, how much of a drop-off that is, you know, from Mohurst, of course. It's not going to be the same. I mean, those guys, Solomon and Dwemfor and them, they could be good, of course, but they're not going to be Mohurst. So we'll see how much that is. But, yeah, the safeties, 
and really what the bigger question i guess would be what what do they do um personnel wise when someone spreads them out like that because to me the answer very well could be is you take one or two of them off the field and you put up and you put extra corners out there i mean that that very well could be what they end up doing um you know i know i look back to where they were the one year where they had jeremy clark with Stribling and Lewis, and before Clark got hurt, all three were playing all the time. Um, I could see a situation where if teams want to spread them out, they like Ambry Thomas the way he's played, where they take Metellus or somebody off the field and they put Thomas out there and let him cover in the slot. Because if somebody's going to spread you out and just throw the way they were doing last year, as we saw um, with some of the fade stuff and some of the one-on-one stuff in the slot, it's better maybe to have a corner in there Covering, so it gives you more options because I think the safeties will get a chance. You know, you'll get a, you'll get your chance if you're Metellus. I mean, it's like, hey, you got to cover better. If you can't, you gotta, you're on field. And I think that'll be the ultimate answer um, because I do think they have other, they have the luxury, like we said, uh, they have the luxury of moving guys around and moving more people in there. There's Casey Hughes from Utah um, or Cody Hughes, Casey Hughes, whatever his name. Is. <laughs> I can't remember his first name. So that's what the C. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, he's a he's a nickel guy who can play a little bit of both. So they have more options. They're a little more flexible now. Um, so it'll be up to the safeties to grow, but if they can, I think they have other options to cover up and uh, and fix themselves there. Special teams always critical, often overlooked. You don't even read much about it in the preseason magazines, Nick, and, and really until it bites you in the butt during the season, uh, yeah. fans <laughs> usually don't take notice. But field goal kickers, punters, kick returns, coverage teams, all so key. Uh, your take on that aspect of this team, Nick? Yeah, Nordine is the... You know, this guy could be an All-American if he's consistent, and I think he knows that, and that's the bigger, you know, he talked about a lot about this spring. We talked to him briefly there about how the whole thing was about, I'm sure this this camp will be the same way, was about how he reacts after he misses something. Uh, that was his biggest focus point. So if he misses a kick, you can't miss the next, you cannot miss the next one, you know, because that was his problem last year where he'd miss one and that would lead to two more in a row you know i mean it's get off of it move on and and make sure you make the next one and he did a good job with that he said in the spring and that was his main focus throughout the whole offseason and it will continue to be that if you make a mistake even if it's make a mistake and how you deliver it and the ball still goes through make sure the next one's perfect so i think that consistent let's see that comes with age and experience um, we know he has the physical gifts to be outstanding uh, it's just a matter of being consistent and that of course mental is a big part of that so we'll see if he gets that piece solved and then the punting situation uh, I don't know. Um, you know, Brad Robbins was all over the place as a freshman, but he was a freshman, so it's hard to really judge. Uh, they, they, they know he's got a great leg, but again, consistency. Uh, Will Hart, um, same thing. I mean, all those guys that were in there last year got a crack at it in practice or otherwise. I think it was the same result. So uh, we knew it would be really hard for them to replace Kenny Allen uh, when they did. And, you know, everyone remembers Blake O'Neill for that one fumbled snap, but he was outstanding uh, for every other punt he made that year. So they got spoiled with for two years having two really good punters, and they haven't gotten back to that level yet. And uh, and we'll see because that's a it, because if you can have a guy who is punting the way that those two were with a defense like this, my God, I mean it's like it is suffocating to play against because you're constantly getting pinned to go 90 yards against a group like this, and it's just it just helps everything out. They were number one in field position, I think, those two years. So. Yeah, a lot of work to do and improvement to be done, but if they can get somebody to be kind of a weapon there, that could be a huge, huge factor that, like you said, Mike, nobody ever talks about but until you see it on the field and you're like, whoa, yeah, this is helping out quite a bit. And as far as punt returns, kick returns, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I, I, I think a lot of people get, were frustrated with him at times last year. He uh, 
early mm-hmm. in the season, it looked, he, he looked like uh, Stevie Breston, like, I'm going to catch it. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'm going I'm to take it. I'm going to go. But he got much more cautious as the, uh, the season progressed. But then, you know, at the end of the year, when you look at his stats, they were pretty darn good. Yeah, he had a couple long ones, and that helps out. I mean, that's really how a punt returner makes his money. If you, if you can pop a couple <laughs> long ones, that's going to help the average at the end. But no, Donovan, I, I say this all the time, and it's not a knock on anybody or any one thing. It's, it's college football. It's freshmen coming from high school. Donovan had to learn how to play football last year, I, I think, at a, at a high level. I mean, he was not fundamentally sound. He is an outstanding athlete. Uh, he's very, very smart, and he can do all these things that everybody sees on paper or on, in a raw in shorts. But when it comes time to go play in a live situation at a big time level, there, he looked overwhelmed early on. And, uh, and that's fine. That's totally normal. And the, and the reason why he was on the field was, was because he's super smart and he's very athletic and he can absorb information quickly and he can, and he can make plays happen even when they break down. So I think, yeah, I think that's why I'm so interested to see how everything works with him. Um, because what we, and the best way I can describe it, I guess, is I, I remember watching when they moved Zach Gentry to tight end and he didn't know what he was doing, but you could see him and the way he was running around and the way everything looked for him. You're like, man, if that really does click at some point, he's going to get super confident and it's really going to take off. And now we see Zach Gentry is a six, seven, 260 pound guy who looks like a draft pick. And that's. <laughs> what's happened for him it's taken three and a half years or three years for that to happen but it did and donovan i think that if if the same process could happen maybe faster if the confidence comes and he can click with the fundamentals of how to do this how to play wide receiver and to return kicks he could be an all-american i mean he's that athletic so but that's what that's the that's the next part Tariq black was ahead of him because he had better understanding of fundamentals and how to get open and how to run routes and all this donovan is, is still probably a better athlete and um so it'll be up to him to to get the other piece together and uh, and put it all in the field. Well, Nick, part of me uh, is in the crowd that says the time for excuses are over. It's been you know three years. This is the mm-hmm. fourth. It's just time to win. But then there's the realistic part of me that looks at the schedule and says Michigan yeah. has to be better than good to win the Big Ten East and get to the championship game. And I uh, I want it to happen, but I just have a hard time imagining it, especially with those road games. Yeah, it's just, you know, we go back to it and people get mad every time I bring it up, but it's this ridiculous stat. This this program hasn't won a road game of note for the last three coaching staffs. Yeah. I mean, it's just still there, and um, including Jim Harbaugh. So, I mean, it's just you got to prove it on the road first. Um, and I've said a lot. I, I think they can get Notre Dame, but I think that that would be a big boost to these guys, right, if you could start the season with a road win against a top-level team that could give you some confidence. Um so I think that would be important. But, you know, all year long I've said this could be a very, very good team, much improved team, one of the best teams in America, and they could be 9-3. and three. I mean, that's that's just the, kind of the cold reality of it for them because of the schedule. Um, but, you know, if they can get back to playing the way they were uh, at the end of 2015, at the start of 2016, they can beat anybody they want. And that's, that's also a reality. Um, you know, if the defense is doing its job and the offense is playing efficient football, they're going to be very difficult to play against. And that's what I remember most about the early portion of Harbaugh's tenure here is that Michigan went from a soft, sloppy, uh, unorganized football team to a disciplined, tough, uh, uncomfortable team to play against. Teams did not like playing against them because it was it was a physical grind and they didn't make many mistakes. And they won a lot of games. They were like 20-5 and five or 20-4 and four or something like that to start out. So they can get back to that level. They can compete with anybody. But, yeah, I mean – 
the whole excuse is being overstuffed. Um, to me, that's and, and I've always looked at it like this. Jim Harbaugh has never made any, uh, and he got here from day one and said the goal is to win right away. And if they don't, they failed. And that's how he continues to look at it, I think. And, uh, you know, he knows that this rivalry stuff is grinding people into the dust. And he knows that a lot of it is it has to do with him, but most of it has to do with people before him. I mean, the real reality here is that people are so frustrated because this stuff has been, you know, they haven't had a Big Ten title in 15 years or whatever it's been, or 12 years. Yeah, Herbo's only been here for three of it, but at the same time, you know, he's paid a lot of money to do it. So, you know, we'll see. It's It's been very interesting. I, You know, I look at it from, you know, the standpoint of people inside the, in the building. You know, they, they, of course, have high expectations for Herbo, but they also know, you know, that he's a very good football coach, and they know that it's a really hard job to hire a football coach. <laughs> so there's that. And then I look at fans, and sometimes fans can be rational or not. But, yeah, I mean, it's – we're going to see. I think. Yeah. I think you'll be able to see if this team's improved or not. You know. I mean, you'll tell. You'll be able to tell if they're if they're making moves, or if it's more of the same. And um, you know, that's the great thing about these games is there's no hiding once it starts. Message board gossip, rumors, little you know, spin or whatever they want to put it. You got to go play, and we'll see. And uh, that's why, that's why it's a cool sport. A lot of our fan base, especially the uh, the younger fans, uh, when I talk to them, they want to return to the glory days, to the bow days, you know, back in the... And I tell yep. them, you know, hey, this is not your daddy's Big Ten conference. It's yep. not the big two little late anymore. In reality, for those of us who are older, in the 60s and 70s, so for the better part of the last 40 years, the Big Ten was considered a weak overall conference. You're big, you're slow. Right. We heard that starting in the late 60s when we couldn't win Rose Bowl games and couldn't beat SEC teams. I don't think any more, Nick. Have you ever, ever seen a more loaded up and competitive Big Ten, not only the East, but from top to bottom? You can't take a day off anymore. No, and it's been trending that way, you know, like you say, for the last couple of years. And, you know, you look around, the, the level of coaches in the league uh, is really what always strikes me. I mean, you've got elite, elite football coaches in the Big Ten, you know, all across. I mean, even a guy like Jeff Brown at Purdue. I mean, right. it's it's like he's a young guy, of course, but... He's a very, very good football coach, and that was a terrific hire for Purdue, and he's going to get them better, and they're going to be tough to play. And, you know, there aren't any days off, like you said. I mean, everybody's schedule on some level is difficult um, to a degree, but it's more than that, too. I mean, like, I think it's it's the it's the country. It's it's Everybody spends money on football now. Everybody has the ability, if they want it, to go out and, and be competitive. Um, it's just more difficult than it's ever been. But the thing I think that drives Michigan fans completely nuts is you tell them that <clears throat> that it's borderline impossible to run a league like this, and then they say, "Well, Ohio State does it." <laughs> You're yeah. like, "Well, yeah, you got a point there." You know, it's just yeah. like, so I think that's the thing that cranks people up. Is uh, but I always, you know, that's another maybe another podcast for another day. And the fact that Ohio State has built-in advantages that Michigan will never have. But you know, you can always be competitive to be in the fight. You know, at the top of that league, and then a ball bounces one way or the other. And, and you see what happens. And I think that, you know, that's really, to me, that's the expectation that people should have. Because that's fair. To yeah. be in the mix, and, and every once in a while you got to do it, of course. But to be like, you're going in November every year, and it's like, well, let's let's see who's going to do this, and we're in the conversation. And that's that's really the, the best you can kind of hope for if you're anybody, uh, especially in a league like this, in a division like this, where you've got, you know, three teams that you're playing every year that are in the top 15, and then if you got to draw Wisconsin on the other side, they're also up there too. So that's you know all you can kind of ask for if you're in that situation. That means you've taken care of your business and you've gotten some good wins. Um, and you see what happens. I mean, like like they were in 2016. It didn't work out the way they wanted it to at the end, but they were very much in the conversation for everything they wanted in the middle of November. 
And I think that's all you can hope for at this point is to try to be in there and you see what happens, see if you can get a bounce or two. Um, you got to pull it off, but I think it, it helps. It's the great press release, I guess, is when you finally do win one. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, Nick, you brought up our buddies down there in Columbus, and we uh, we don't usually talk about Ohio State in our August yep. previews, but as we all know, it's a mess in Columbus right now, one of their own making, I might add. Do you yep. think the powers that be down there are going to be able to bring the resolution to this situation? And now they're saying last night in the next 14 days? Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, I don't think they would have put that in paper if they weren't serious about doing it. I, I mean, I, I got to think it would be sooner than later. I don't know what they're – I don't know. I, at first when the investigation started, I thought this is simply a situation of we're going to stand here and see how the wind blows. You yeah. know, We're going to see if people freak out about it or we're going to see if people die down about it. Uh, and then, you know, Urban Meyer, uh, Urban Meyer and Zach Smith had what seemed to be a pretty coordinated, you know, let's blame Ohio State for all this uh, <laughs> stuff on Friday, and that changed everything. And I don't think Ohio State was on board with any of that, but that changed everything. So maybe the timeline gets stretched now because maybe, the, you know, now I, I assume they've got to look more in, uh, as much into Gene Smith and the administration as they do Urban Meyer now. So, yeah, I think I think probably within two weeks. And, again, I, I've said this the whole time. I mean, not to be that guy, but I – I watched Jim Trestle get carried off the field in 2012 by players in the stadium erupt like a year and a half after he admitted he was a noted cheater and liar. And uh, if Urban Meyer is getting fired for lying to the media, uh, then it's not happening at Ohio State. I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, he's not going to resign. It's going to be a matter of you know, whether or not the trustees are comfortable with having a coach who A, lied, or B, ignored what seems to you can say whatever you want whether he knew or did it whatever I mean, it, the fact was the guy remained on the staff mm-hmm. for all those years i mean we you know mike you and i can sit here and say morally he should have been fired the minute that came out right ethically he should have been fired the minute it came out we all agree on that whether or not it'll happen is the is the question that's much more difficult and oftentimes brings about the the side of college sports that we don't like or sports in general and that people often don't do <laughs> the right thing morally legally you know i'm not sure how much of a you know i'm, a, I'm not sure how much of a case ohio state has to fire him with cause and i think that's why you saw him do what he did uh with the statement is that uh he put it a kind of in their court and you know i think someone will, i think someone will get fired out of this i don't think it'll be urban meyer if i had to bet i think it would be gene smith uh, i think he'll take this he'll fall on the sword and urban will be the coach and i you know how that looks in the state of Ohio, it'll look fine. Everywhere else, it'll look like we're talking right now. I mean, that's the reality of it. I yeah, mean, that's, it that's the sad truth of it, is that everywhere else we'll look at it and say, well, you got a liar, you got a coach who lied and tried to blame a reporter for all of it after he protected a guy, and then he used a guy that was the dirtbag to help him later. It'll look terrible. It'll look absolutely terrible, but that's a powerhouse program that hasn't had many trip-ups over the years, and that's part of the reason why. So. They don't fire coaches unless a lot of things happen. A guy punches a coach, a player on the field, or you get caught lying 17 times, then you're fired. But <laughs> if it's only one, I would think he survives, and that's my guess until proven otherwise. Last question for you, Nick. Uh, Sunday, ESPN announced game day is going to be in South Bend for the opener. I guess that's mm-hmm. where, the, where the first game day originated. And, you know, I, for one, I'm thrilled to have Notre Dame back on the schedule. A lot of Michigan fans yeah. don't feel that way. But it's going to be a night game, a green out. I don't know if it's the first ever green out. That's what's going to take yeah, that's place. Yeah, on me, yeah. Yeah, that should look very strange at night on TV. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> they're going to be ranked higher than Michigan. I'm seeing them, you know, 10, 11. Uh, not that that matters. There's uh-huh. not going to be much separating them. Notre Dame, 
if you care about the odds, Vegas has them favored by a bit right now. So, you know, it's a huge game, absolutely. That's why game day's there. Michigan just flat out has to get this one. I really do think this is a must-win game. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to win it in the sake of the Big Ten race or anything. I don't think the end, the world ends if you lose it. Um, but you have, you're, you're right. I think I agree with you on some part of that. Like you, you've got to be. If you lose, it better be by like a score. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like something mm-hmm. where you're in it and it's and you're right there and it's like, okay, well, get a few things fixed, but this team's on the right path and and they can they can maybe correct this. But yeah, no, I mean that's that's why I I keep going back to that. You got to get the quarterback fixed. You got to do all this. You got to do all that. Because this is a true road game against a team that should be good, um, that is considered on some level a rival still, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think most people would consider Notre Dame a, and Michigan a rivalry. Uh, it's national stage. It's all this. It's a chance to go out and show – because recruiting has not been good. I mean, if we can be honest with ourselves here, they've lost ground uh, with a lot of these top players because they haven't beaten anybody. It's a chance to go out on national TV and beat somebody of note in their building, on the road, and yeah. So in that sense – when I look at it now, Mike, and I, I think about it after after I talk myself into it, and maybe I agree with you because you know this whole thing about you haven't beaten anybody on the road in t- ten years or twelve years, whatever the whatever the hell it's been. I mean, yeah. that's got to stop. I mean, that's that's got to go away. And this is a great opportunity. It's zero zero coming out of the gate. Everybody's even. You're coming out of camp. There's no judgments made on you before. You don't have any confidence problems. Everybody's ready to go. Uh, sometimes those are the hardest games to prepare for. And sometimes it's the hardest to win because you just don't know what you're going to have. But yeah, that's it's a big one. It's a big one for your for this team here. It's a big one for off season stuff and recruiting and everything else. And um, to show that you know, yeah, you can perform on that stage. And I think that's always the knock on Michigan right now is that every time the stage and the, and the lights get bright, they fold and whoever they're playing wins. And this will be an opportunity for them to show that um, that they can do the opposite. And I think that that, that sort of momentum can go a long way. Um, I, and I used to be one of these guys who said I thought it was always cliche and, and just kind of lame when somebody would say, well, that Notre Dame game such a big deal because it's early and it'll, it can provide momentum. And I used to think, nah, that's not true. And then I saw the 2011 team basically carry a, one win into like 10-0 or whatever it was. So, I mean, like that was very big for them, uh, and I've seen it happen before. So it certainly can happen again. Um, and, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one that they probably have to have. Our guest today has been uh, beat writer Nick Baumgartner from the Detroit Free Press joining us on our first preview show. We'll have the uh, next couple of weeks, two more. As always, Nick, we uh, enjoy having you with us to get things rolling and look forward to getting you back as soon as they tee it up and we have some game action to talk about. So, as always, Nick, thanks for your time. Yeah. All right, Mike, sounds good. Quick hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, we open at number 14 in the preseason Amway Coaches Poll. Michigan State checked in just ahead of us at number 11. Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State are all in the top 10. Rookie Mason Cole has been named the starting center for the Arizona Cardinals. The team made the announcement on Monday. Tyrone Wheatley Jr. announced on Thursday he was leaving the program. Over the weekend, Stony Brook announced Tyrone would be transferring there and would be eligible to play immediately. 
He has two years of eligibility left. ESPN announced on Sunday that game day will be in South Bend for the opener with us on Labor Day weekend. On the recruiting scene, we picked up another verbal over the weekend for the class of 2019. Three-star receiver Quintel Kent. He is from Lakewood, Ohio, St. Edwards, and he's a wide receiver. Hoops got another verbal for the class of 2019. Six-seven swingman Cole Bajima from Linden Christian in Washington State committed over the weekend. He seems like the kind of under-the-radar player that Coach B likes. Great shooter, can play multiple positions, and is very athletic. With the season just weeks away, make sure you have our free show apps so you can keep up with the latest news on your Wolverines. It's free in the Google Play and iTunes stores. You can also hear us on Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Wolverine Sports Radio. Next week, we will continue our season previews. My scheduled guest is beat writer Aaron McMahon from M Live. So make sure you tell your Michigan friends and family about the show and join us next week. Until then, I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!